So my name's Marta. I'll let all these kiddos get um, to their places, but I'll introduce myself. My name is Marta Gilliland. I'm a pastor here at Lakeland. I don't preach very often. Um, Dan and Garrett do, and Adam do quite a bit of the preaching. I feel like I have to introduce myself in case you don't know who I am and you're new here. And also in case it goes awry. <laughs> so that you can say, um, yeah, that's not the guy who really preaches all the time. So um, just a little caveat. Today we are going to talk about telling our story, just like Adam had mentioned before. And uh, I hope you guys are thinking about how to tell your kids part of your story. It's one of Lakeland's main values to tell our story. Um, We believe in telling our story so strongly, we believe it's the main mode of evangelism, the main mode of also discipleship, which we'll see in a minute. Um, And really, it it can be hard to tell our story of God, but it's really, really easy. Because if you think about it, we tell parts of our stories all the time. We do this all the time. Um, We tell our friends stories about our jobs and all the characters there. Um, We tell in our Christmas newsletter how our year went, and um, some people might like to make their lives look really good in those. Um, We never did, but it was always really funny. Our social media tells a story. It's our brand, right? Tells tells us something about ourselves. Um, Again, maybe honest, maybe not. Um, If you're a mom... You have probably told that birth story once or twice, or the adoption story, the gotcha day, right? Um, For some reason, moms like to do this. It's like our war stories, how we got our kids, and we're so proud of them. My mom, she likes to tell her surgery stories. She likes to lift up her shirt and show her scars. And I'm like, no, mom, that's not the story you should be telling. But... She doesn't really tell a story about us, so I'm not sure what is up with that. Nothing like an 80-year-old Japanese lady lifting up her shirt to show you her scars. So we also tell all of our stories, the story of God here at church. Every week we tell the story of God from the liturgy, from the call to worship, to the songs that we choose, um, to the sermon, to the my stories. All these stories we're telling is the story of God. We're trying to tell the story and give it away because we have the story about God and we're trying to give it away. When we celebrate the church calendar from Advent to Christmas Eve to Christmas Day, the birth of Jesus to Epiphany to Lent, Ash Wednesday to to Good Friday, we simply read scripture in our Good Friday service. We tell the story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. When we take the Lord's Supper every week, communion, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. That is a story that we're telling as a community to ourselves. So it's not just a story about, you know, spreading the gospel. It's also a story that we're reminding ourselves of every week and all year long and um and, and when we interact with each other. Um, Creation tells a story. The song said that, right? Every morning the sun rises. Sometimes it snows in April. I don't know about that. That's conflict, right? 
Um, there's all kinds of stories that nature tells. I highly recommend if you've never seen or planted moonflowers in morning glories. Get some vines. Get this. Build, build them from the seeds. They're super easy to take care of. But every morning they bloom. And every, um, the morning glories do, and then they close. And then every evening, moonflowers open, and then they close by the morning. It's like a God's magic show. I used to have that on our porch, and I used to tell the kids, look, look. Look at God. He's telling you a story. He does this every day, and he reveals himself to us in little ways and in large ways. Um, and i, I got to say, if you've ever been to the mountains or to the ocean or something huge, God is not shy about telling a story of his creation. We went to the Grand Canyon a couple years ago, and that was awe-inspiring and frightening as well, but awe-inspiring. It's hard for me to look at all creation and say, God doesn't exist. He's just sometimes a show-off. But humans, we're a little shyer. We, we take a little bit more time to tell our story about God. We're a little more timid than creation. We tend to get all tripped up when, it's talk, when we talk about God. Um, we lose sight of our, the transcendence of God. We lose sight of the main characters, which is God. Sometimes we just want to talk about ourselves. But God is the main story, character in our story. And it's full of conflict and twists and turns and highs and lows. Our kids sometimes are better at telling their highs and lows than what God... Now, you saw that here, right? They, are, they have plenty to say about God. But somehow when we become adults and, you know, we can just get a little more timid about it. And sometimes we get downright frightened by it. So we're going to take a look at some women. Did I tell you guys that the guys were on retreat? So I thought this would be a good, um, a good uh, story to tell is about the women who went to the tomb. So we're going to go to Luke 24. We did this in Lexio this, a couple of weeks ago. This story is told in several other Gospels, but this one I chose because it focuses on the women. Well, they all kind of do, but John, he always talks about himself in the Gospel of John. You should read it because it's pretty funny. He's like, he's like uh, the disciple who ran and got there first to the tomb. Like, oh, he's talking about himself there. <laughs> Luke 24, 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so, they, so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away, roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? These women were planners. They knew they had, to, had a problem to solve. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Go what? Tell his disciples. And tell Peter. Remember Peter on Good Friday? Denying Christ. 
He's going ahead of you into Galilee, Jesus. There you will see him just as he told you. So trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So they were afraid. And, and listen, in their defense, you know, they weren't expecting this to happen. They were all doing what we do as women. We were making plans. Okay, who we're going to get to roll away the stone? Okay, who's bringing the spices? Okay, we got to take care of Jesus and anoint him. And also know that they were in terrible grief and trauma from seeing someone that they loved die on a cross a couple days before then. And that they were in complete grief at this time. And probably shock. So the fact that they were afraid, I have a lot of grace on, to see that the stone had rolled away and that Jesus was gone. And that he had risen. Never mind that he probably told them that. Yes, this is going to happen. You know, this is something that they could never have expected. They were afraid. And by the way, where were the guys? (laughs) Maybe they were on camping retreat. I don't know. Just joking. Sometimes, guys, we are not able to recognize Jesus in our stories. In John, the same story, like I said, John tells it a little bit different. He says that Jesus came and talked to him and said, Mary, don't hold on to me. And she thought he was the gardener. She saw Jesus after he had risen from the dead in the tomb, she went to go look for him, and she saw him, but she did not recognize him. Now, some people might say and argue that he was in a different form, so I get that. But it was Jesus, someone that she had known intimately in her life, her best friend, and she couldn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. I wonder how many times we do this, that we take a look at our story, and we get really busy about the things that need to be done, And we get really afraid. And sometimes we're full of grief and sad. And we forget that Jesus has risen. We forget that we're Easter people. So I want to take us to 1 Peter 3. Because remember Peter? I told you he was the one that also was afraid and denied Christ. And so this letter from 1 Peter it was probably written 40 to 50 years later. But this is what Peter then says. He says lots of things about Jesus. And he's had time, right, from, the, from Easter to the time he writes this letter to think about it. And so did the women, but they probably didn't print the, the men's um, words. So here's what he said. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared, but do this with gentleness and respect. So I'm going to ask you guys if you can say this to read this with me because these, this verse is really important. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to focus on this. Always, so read along with me. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Good job. 
So friends, it's really, really easy to get cynical. And it's really, really easy to get discouraged. This year has been terrible for most and terrible for uh, us, for my family in particular. It's been hard. Um, It's really, really easy to get cynical if you watch TV at all and to think about the church. Um, It's really easy to pick out everything that's wrong, right? Um, And sometimes, to be quite honest, I have been very uh, discouraged by the things that I hear from my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I think more so, I have been discouraged by the things that I've said and done that were not so respectful or um, gentle. No one's really called me very gentle. (laughs) Never been known for that. But that's discouraging that 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 has not changed more for me. Um, I can be in deep grief about my actions and about the actions of um, people in the church and outside the church. And listen, it is not um, really popular to be a Christian these days. Um, it's, I don't know if it's ever been super popular, but it's been this cultural norm to go to church every Sunday. It's no longer the cultural norm, but, you know, really in pandemic. Thanks, guys, for coming. Thanks for joining us on the live stream because you're doing part of the thing that most of the culture is not doing. Well, most, I should say half of the culture is not doing So it is something that is radical and odd to tell the story of God to someone who has absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Much like it was radical and scandalous for the women to come to the tomb and see the body gone. We are quick to minimize the importance of our testimony. We're quick to... um, put away our story and tell um, only just certain parts of it and not really the parts that God is involved in it because we're afraid. I am. I, I know that's hard. It's just hard. I mean, it can be weird sometimes to the people around us. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. God revealed himself to you. But he does every day. We're supposed to do something with that. So listen to this quote from a professor and a theologian named Dan Allender. I really love his work. Um, he works at the Seattle School of Theology, I think. He's a master storyteller. If you guys are, I know you guys listen to stories on YouTube, so go ahead and look him up because he's got great stories. He writes this, God is not merely the creator of our life. He is also the author of our life. And he writes each person's life story to reveal his divine story. There has never been, nor will there ever be, another life like mine or like yours. Just as there's only one face and name like mine, so there's only one story like mine. And God writes the story of my life to make known something about himself the one who wrote me. The same is true of you. Your life and mine not only reveal who we are, but they also help reveal who God is. Our stories embody the gospel. 
I have never known someone who came to Christ simply by facts. They are always coming to Christ because of someone's story, someone who already knows Christ. Maybe I've known one person who came to Christ just by reading the Bible. But in the Bible is the story of people and God. We are wired, we are hardwired to listen to each other's stories and to see God reveal himself in our story. He has uh, made that just part of who we are. Our stories reveal something about God and our relationship with Jesus. And we collectively as a church, we stand and step into our grander narrative of God. And we believe that God is still revealing himself to us today. You would not be here today if you thought that God didn't have the capacity to reveal himself or something to you. I don't know how many times I've heard someone say, oh, that message by Garrett or Dan or Adam or Taylor, that just spoke right to me. That's God revealing himself to you. The narrative doesn't stop. Your narrative doesn't stop because scripture is closed. I've said this to people when I do my Listen to My Life story. If you were to take your story and your story with God and add it to the end of scripture after Revelation, if the canon were still open, it would still be part of the story of God. We, this, the kingdom is still continuing. Just because Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven doesn't mean that his story does not keep going until he returns again. There's a gap there. He came and he hasn't come again. So our stories are part of that canon. If the canon were open, that's a whole other story we're not going to get into. But that's how important you are to God. I want you to think about that. That we often put scripture stories ahead of our own. But we're that important to God. He puts it in there. It's in the grander narrative. So, I have asked my friend Brian Forsythe to come up and tell a story. He's going to do my story. We do my stories quite a bit around here, if you've not been around here. And um, I, he said that he was going to go on the camping trip, but this must be the um, God telling him. <laughs> I told him, God is telling you to tell you my story. No, I didn't do that. I didn't pressure him. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Marta. I'm Brian Forsythe, and this is my story. Marta's right. She did ask me, um, and I thought, is it too late to get on this camping trip? (laughs) And as a planner, clearly, it was a day late. So here I am. Hey, several years ago, I was invited to join a men's Bible study. It was an unconventional invitation, though, because it wasn't affiliated with the church. Rather, it was from an individual that had a subtle aura of wisdom, the kind that really wasn't first apparent at first encounter, but obvious on the second. The invitation was rife with obstacles. I'd be meeting with people I didn't know. It was a full 30 minutes from home. I'd be the newbie, and I may have to be vulnerable. In a word, it was inconvenient. But something stronger than these inconveniences compelled me to go. After a few sessions of studying the book of Genesis... The leader asked the group if they'd ever heard God speak to them. All I could think was, don't start with me. Doing everything I could to avoid eye contact, I was spared going first. And to my amazement, the four other participants said they had heard his word, and they provided a brief story of how and when. It was my turn, and for some reason I was compelled to be honest. I said, not here, 
in this moment of vulnerability, I was asked if I would be comfortable with them praying over me to hear his voice. This time I wasn't honest, having never experienced something like this before. I said yes. In the midst of this prayer, with hands laid upon me, I heard a soft but thunderous voice say two words three times. Follow me. Upon conclusion, I looked around the room, expecting a film crew and Ashton Kusher to be there. Was I being punked? What on earth was going on? The 30-minute drive home was intense, me being alone with my thoughts. I just heard God's voice, clear as day. What exactly does follow me mean? My thoughts ranged from, I've been called to abandon my life, give everything away, and join a monastery, to it means nothing. But I'll be honest, I I was leaning towards the, the former. After all, this voice thing was really messed up. I simply couldn't put it into perspective, and I knew I needed help. But who could I tell and not sound absolutely crazy? Certainly not my friends, at least not as I thought I knew them. I was shaken. After about a week of wrestling with my thoughts, I turned to my wife, Erica, and shared the experience. It was met with an understanding I didn't anticipate. She was pretty sure that it didn't mean what I thought it might, and she was able to talk me off the ledge. I believe God spoke to me again through her, although not nearly as direct nor as thunderous, but as she persuaded me to share the experience with a few others. These conversations were met with a profound understanding that I simply didn't expect, as my preconceived perspective was absolutely wrong. Some of them shared their, their God's voice stories, too. And some shared that they, they too, hadn't heard, heard his voice yet. And some began to listen for it. After several years of discernment, I've been guided towards a new perspective of what follow me means to me. In order to follow, you need to look at what you're following. And you go where you look. Thanks for looking this way. I'm Brian Forsyth, and this is my story. So thanks, Brian. See how that works, guys? Not everyone is going to hear something audibly. But I promise you that God will reveal himself to you if you are looking for him in some way, some form, some shape. I know that Brian's not from a tradition that's real woo-woo, you know, laying out of hands. So that was super vulnerable for him to make himself available to that kind of prayer. And we have Presbyterian roots here, so we're pretty pretty traditional too. But we believe that God is still revealing himself to us. We believe that. Far be it from us to determine for us to determine what mode he uses. He can use any mode he wants. He's God. So I'm super appreciative for uh, Brian telling him his story. His wife, Erica, has been in my small group, and we did listen to my life. And that's another thing that that you guys can do if you want to take a little inventory. It's sometimes very vulnerable to do that type of thing. I don't make anyone tell their stories um, if they don't want to. But it does make you 
stop and realize where God has worked in your life and to recognize that. And to, uh, the subtitle of that class is um, Recognizing God's Work in Your Life and Responding to It. So sometimes we need that little prompt. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes if we're just practiced at it, or sometimes if they make you preach, <laughs> you kind of think about it a little bit more. Lexio does this, Lexio Divina. They have the same five or six people that join us every day at noon. And we tell our stories and we listen to the story of God. And we do it via Zoom. Small group does it. Um, Mercy Street, all of your groups, all your people, if you have people here and you're like, those are my people, those are the people you already tell your story to. It's already happening. Now, if you have someone outside this church or that are necessarily your people or you don't know who's watching on live stream, it does get a little more vulnerable and a little scary because it, because it kind of is. It kind of is a scary thing. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to do it. Um, so the question to you is, what's your story? I strongly believe that our lives are not a set of random events in our lives that pile up like shoes in our closet. Your wins and your achievements, they mean something to God. And your losses and your heartache and your anxiety, they all matter to God. They're all part of your story, and you matter to God. And when we share our story with God at the center of it, we show the world the hope that we have. As Peter said, he didn't get it all right. He was scared too. But eventually, looking back, he could say, I have hope because Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. If that's all you know, that's the story of God. You got it down. So, I'm going to end with a story of my own. I said I don't preach very often. The last time I preached was on November 1st. I also mentioned that our life was really hard this year. Now, I'm not into comparative suffering. I think it was hard for everyone. Um, but on that list of bad things that happened to you, we had it happen. Um, some of you guys already know this, but my husband's been fighting cancer for about five years now. And it's important in a minute. But on November 1st, I thought, oh, wow, we're, that's, thanks, thanks for letting me preach on November 1st, the Sunday before election. <laughs> Maybe I should tell everyone how to vote. And then I'm like, oh, guess what? No one asked me how to vote. Like uh, uh, Peter said, be ready to give the answer for the hope that you have when someone asks you. <laughs> No one asked me that, but people do ask me how I'm doing. People do ask me, how are you doing this? And the, the short answer is, I don't know, God. That's the short answer, God. I don't know how I did this year. Um, but as God does, we were studying about hope in my small group and cynicism. And um, I thought, how am I going to preach about anything right now? And um, I thought, that's it. I'll preach about hope. Do you guys remember that sermon? Because it's totally okay if you didn't, because I didn't. I had to go look it up when I was writing this one. And I talked about being myopic and the fact that you can't, to have hope, you can't look at the one thing. You're one part of the story. You've got to look at the whole. 
You've got to look at what God's doing in the grander narrative, and I still believe that. But on that day, it was when I'm, there's no way I could have known this, but if I would have known this, I wouldn't have preached. On that day, that was one of the worst days of my life. I got home. My small group's here, so they know that story. Um, and I looked at my husband, and he was sick. Now, I knew he had cancer. We all knew that. He's been fighting it for a while, but something was wrong. And I'm like, well, we're going to the ER. So I drove him down to the ER, and um, remind, you know, guys, I'm telling you, this is my story. This is my story. It's not his. This is my perspe- perspective of it and how um, God revealed himself to me that day. But it was crazy. Have y'all ever been to an ER that's not crazy? But during COVID, it was crazy. There was a lady who was very ill with COVID, and she was eight months pregnant. And they were trying to find out what can we do for her. And it was the um, it was the middle of the day, starting into dusk and night. And then, and by the way, we've been to KU Men a lot, and it's a I mean, I can't have, I don't have enough good things to say about it. But I want to tell you, it was crazy that night. And the guy next to us, by the way, they make those walls so thin. Do they got to do that? (laughs) Right? We're hearing everything that's going on with everyone. And Steve's in pain. He's sitting there. And the guy next to me is yelling at the top of, in the room. And I've got the, you can hear the doctor. And I think his name is David, but I'm making this up. He said, David. David, you've got to let me examine you. We just need to do an examination. And he was saying, with some expletives that I won't say in church, uh-uh, you're not examining me. I ain't having no heart attack. I'm on meth. <laughs> David, David, please. He's like, ain't no way, blah, blah, blah. I am not having a heart attack, but I am on meth. Do you know what meth is? Meth makes you do this. It makes your heart race. I'm like, he's explained it to the doctor what meth does. And I'm like, oh, Lord, Lord. And then the sick lady. And then all of a sudden there's cold blue. I don't know what cold blue is, but I heard the cops running down. And there's some scuffling. And there's a lot going on. And I look at my husband. And I don't think he remembers any of this because he was like, I'm in pain. And I was about to go all Shirley MacLaine on, you know, terms of endearment on getting my husband some help because he had been in pain for several hours by now. And I was like, guys, we've got to get some help. So the nurse comes, can we get some pain meds? You know, and he'd had a scan earlier on. The scan was fine. We're all just thinking, we don't know what's going on with him, but he's in pain. And just, let's just, let's figure something out. Oh, it was about 12 hours later, guys. It was midnight by the time the doctor comes in. The doctor and his team comes in, and he said, you know, we saw that you had a scan this week. And he said, yeah. And he goes, we're really sorry to tell you this, but you have cancer. (sighs) Yes, we know. (laughs) We know. We know this. And I'm not trying to make a joke of it, but just as much to say is that that's the part story we knew, and we've been fighting for five years. But what was this current thing? And, and, and I'm going into all my floor, my you know, multitasking, trying to get something done and fix. I'm fix, 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 fixing it. And by the way, I was so super tired from the morning. So I'm like, what, Lord, Lord, please just help us right now. And I did not hear this audibly, but in my mind I heard, um, Marta, it's time for you to practice what you preached. 
it's time to practice what you preached. And that morning I had practiced, I had preached that hope is not about one instance, one day, one hour, or one situation. It's about the whole of your life and the whole of Jesus' grander narrative that he came to heal, as Adam said, to heal, to change, to make things right again. And no matter how that day was going to end, that was what I was focused on. Not because I'm some super spiritual pastor, but because God had written that story on my heart for months ahead of time. I don't know why I preached on that, except that we talked about it. And other things had happened. And God had been preparing me for that day. And he sustained me through that day, and he sustained Steve. And guess what? My husband got had surgery on election day, and he did fine and came through surgery, and he's on a new treatment now. And he's like every day waking up a living, breathing miracle, right? Do we live like this? This story just tells us, not because we're all tough, but God is sustaining us every day. And whether you have cancer or not, guys, he's sustaining you Every single day he reveals himself to you and sustains you. That's the hope that we live in. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again, no matter what's happening. You have a story that the world needs to hear and that reveals God in it. Just maybe, maybe you need to step into your own story and see God in it. So telling your story spreads the gospel, and it tells the world what we need, but it also disciples ourselves. Um, Studies have shown that it changes your brain to be able to talk about your story and process it. And every time I bring some science into church, people are like, why are you talking about science? Listen, I don't think God is affirming science. Science eventually catches up to God. God knew that. He's written storytelling into our lives. He knew that it would change our brains. We need to tell our stories just as much as someone needs to hear it because it changes us. It doesn't affirm science. It affirms that God is doing something for us as we tell his story in our lives. And it does something to us. It transforms us because we can say, I don't know, but God is good. There's not much you have to know to tell the story of God except for, I don't know, but God is good. Don't blow past your own story. Don't simply live your life without reflecting on what God is doing it in it. The church invites you into your story. If you ever want to tell your my story up here, I know that's really scary, but I'd love for you to do it. If you don't, that's fine. Just tell it to your small group or someone or your spouse or your, you know, children. You have homework. Your kids are going to ask you. I, I just really encourage you to not um, blow past it. It is such a gift to give to your children. So I think I told you Steve was okay. Um, I just didn't want to leave without telling you guys that because that was a stressful story. Um, um, somewhere at the beginning of this cancer journey, we said the Gillens can do, I told the kids this, the Gillens can do hard things. And what I should have said is God is going to sustain us. He can do hard things.
Amen.